So in today's marketplace where, you know, everyone's an expert um, and so many people have been burnt by experts that either weren't the expert they needed or weren't quite the expert they thought they were, mm-hmm. how, how does story guide people to that place of uh, comfort, certainty, trust that whatever, whatever you're pitching will work for them? Yeah, so there's, you know, a story that is well-constructed that actually guides people in a narrative form, which are the things that you see everywhere, you know, from, from Star, Wars, Star Wars, you know, to, to all of the great books, you know, across time. If you, if you lead your prospect through kind of a story-based pitch, meaning, you know, you understand who they are, you understand what their problem is, you understand kind of that, that they need to, to, to cross the threshold into kind of solving that problem. But the only thing that's going to solve the problem for them is if they actually trust their guide, trust the process, and trust that there will be a result at the end. And if you manage to get that into a story, what you're going to do is along the way, you're going to have somebody that's walking with you like a deer in the headlights or gum in your hair what got you here will not get you there join us as business owners get unstuck in real time on the business building struggles we all share welcome to the business breakthrough podcast and here's your host sd rand Welcome back to the Business Breakthrough Podcast, and I'm super excited to welcome today's guest to the show, Ginger Zumeda. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Esty. I'm, I'm happy to be here. I'm excited. I'm excited. You have just the coolest background. Guys, Ginger advises companies on positioning and communicating big ideas. She's the founder and CEO of Zumeda Group, positioning and messaging strategy firm, and the author of a forthcoming book, Deconomics design presentations that spread ideas, drive decisions, and close deals. She's worked with some of the largest brands, all the big names, been in all the major publications, but I think one of the coolest uh, things that I've seen in her bio is she has won three Emmy Awards, 12 Muse Awards, and a Gracie Award for her work in television. So that adds a bit of a twist to your average brand story consultant. Um, And uh, after going from your career at NBC to your consulting firm, now you do it to help people with storytelling. So I'm, I'm really excited about this, not just because I feel honored that you're here, also because I've been recently just getting more and more into story, right? And that idea of like, I remember I was sitting with a friend recently and she's telling me just this like long, long story. And I'm listening because it's a story. I'm noticing myself listening. I'm noticing myself noticing that it's long and she just keeps talking and noticing that I'm still listening because it's a story and I want to know what happened. Absolutely. And, and I think in today's insanely cluttered world where, you know, content marketing is, is well oversaturated, story is the only, the only way to go these days. I, I Well, obviously I couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> I think people forget, you know, pe- people have lost... Um, contact with the power of story and how primal it is how how wired we are to follow stories yeah um, and, and and so it's it's the easiest hack 
ever. Um, and it ha also happens to be, you know, human, <laughs> which yeah. is why it works. So yeah, Br bringing oh the God. humanity back to business, who would have thought that would be an idea? Exactly. So can you tell me a little bit more about like, I want to know about your career in television and I want to know how that brought you to this, like why TV to brand stories? Yeah, guys, it's a, it's a great question. I, I think as many people's career are, it, you know, some of it is being in the right place at the right time. Um, yeah. I started out in television actually in research um, okay. and I actually found myself struggling at first to tell the stories of what the research was showing me. Um, you know, a lot of times I'd see indi indicators that maybe we weren't promoting the right things, saying the right things to get people to watch TV. And it was my job to, to go to the executive team and say, hey, what I see here is, is uh, not what we should be doing. And, you know- Meaning research on, on audience, on what yeah, people are doing? So, so when I started my career, I was actually responsible for analyzing all of the Nielsen ratings understand wow. how the audience was flowing in and out of shows, how the, how the audience was flowing um, into and away from our programs to other competitors. And, you know, what the things based on also other market dynamics, like, you know, what the demographics were of any given market, you know, you start to kind of try to put the pieces together and go, what's happening here? I think that's so cool. Can I stop you for a second? Because I'm so curious. When I first learned about Nielsen ratings, and we'll have to break it down just for, for those who aren't familiar, right? Nielsen is the body that uh, studies essentially television viewership, right? They put a little, once upon a time, I have no idea what they do now, but I remember back in the day, they put a little box attached to people's TVs. They had all their demographic information and they would track what they did with their television. That's exactly what they watched right. when they skipped around. Um, but I've always been so curious if that could be really accurate, right? How, do, how is it not biased? Who picks the families? How do you know the families aren't just randomly turning shows on? Like, I, especially in today's digital marketing world where you have, yes, there's a lot of falsehoods, but in a sense, it's a lot more authentic because it's just, it's tracking the real humans, each human interacting, and it's got such a huge aggregate. Nielsen to me feels like child's play. Well, you know, it's so funny that you say that. Now, granted, I, I want to give full disclosure to your audience. I have not been in that world for over 10 years, but I'll tell you how, I'm not sure how, how, how much has progressed. So that's my disclaimer. But some of the things that you bring up are absolutely correct, right? Well, first of all, how do they make sure it's representative? Well, they took, they take a look at the, the demographics of, uh, of the market and try to duplicate a sample of homes that is going to be representative of the market. However, what does that mean the market, the market that the show is trying to promote to the, the, mean the market the metropolitan like, statistical area. So, uh, okay. So meaning the, the general demographic of, the of geographical marketplace. Fine. That yeah. makes more sense to me. Yeah. So they'll take a look at New York as the number one market. Los Angeles is the number two market. They'll take a look at, okay, what are the demographics of this market? What is the household composition, not only in age, but in, but in ethnicity, you know, et cetera. And mm. they try to come up with a, a panel of homes that reflect, that are a microcosm, right, of the market. What most people don't realize, and I don't remember the exact statistics, is that like one household is representing, you know, thousands and thousands of, of other homes. Right. So 
Get some statistical error issues. <laughs> Just a couple. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then the other thing is, you know, how back in the day, only the big markets actually had the, the little computers they would attach to the back of your TVs that really only were monitoring three things on and off position, right. the time of day, and what channel it was tuned to. Um, right. and then you had a remote where you were supposed to, you know, if, if I came into the room and sat down to watch TV, you know, with my sister or brother, I was supposed to basically plug in, okay, I'm here now. And so, so it measured you. So, so there's some human accountability of doing it and they're trying to do it. But in a lot of the other smaller markets, what most people didn't realize is that they actually had paper diaries that people had to fill out on top of the TVs or in the room where the TV was. And it was no to go to Dunedin, Florida and audit those paper diaries. Cause there was, it was almost like, like dangling chats. Sometimes I would fight for, no, I think this diary was really supposed to go to my TV station. So <laughs> I want that point. When you realize that they're representing thousands of homes, every um, little check-in matters. So, so there's a lot of things that you learn, I kind of learned how, how the ratings worked, so I could somewhat game the um, system. How does it work? I'm, I'm so fascinated by this. Well, you know, it, it used to be, and again, I don't know if my information is dated, but yeah, but you, in order to get credit for a quarter hour of television viewing, which is how they would break it up, you would look at your ratings by the quarter hour. What you really needed was seven and a half minutes of that viewing time. So when you start to think about how television um, programs are put together, you can start to notice that there ebbs and flows in seven and a half in increments. So the reason we would always push the weather to the end is we were trying to get people through seven and a half minutes before we actually gave them the carrot so we could get the credit. And when you start to understand how these things work, you can start to work with your facts, which goes back to our original point, which is yeah. storytelling. So I had some of this like dense kind of technical information that, you know, when we had marketers that were, you know, before there was a lot of evidence base of how to do marketing, people went by their gut. It was the madman days in some regards. Mm -hmm. And here I had, you know, bodies of research and I was responsible for telling, you know, helping our, our um, executive teams understand, I know this feels like the right thing to do, but I'm going to show you some analysis and kind of tell you how this would play out in real life that, that might be counterintuitive. And, and that goes back to story. So I started my career interpreting data to help, okay. to help our station succeed. Then Luckily, I got tapped as like, well, maybe you should just be in charge of the marketing. And I'm <laughs> vice president of advertising and promotion. Oh, wow. All of that information and, and helping. What, is, what does that look like? like what, what does that role look like? It, it, it's sort of like running your in-house ad agency, right? So I had, you know, I was responsible for all of the marketing and promotion of all of our tele television programs. You know, what does that mean? That means I was herding cats. I had graphic artists, writers, producers, videographers, editors, packaging up um, 30 second promos. So what I say is I learned to tell stories in 30 second increments 
because I was responsible for getting you to watch more television. Got it. You you were like the queen of trailers, essentially. Pretty much, yes. Trailer queen. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds different when you say it in that order. <laughs> it does. It has a whole different connotation. Whole different connotation. What you did, you just made up a story in your mind, didn't you? I did. I did. <laughs> with with a replete with um faux um fur, not fur, like uh feather stole. Yeah, I'm like, I'm seeing that, you know, like hot neon pink <laughs> in the trailer park. Right. All sorts of interesting mores going on there. Okay. So 30 second promos and then fast forward, a bunch of things happened. You decided to do consulting? I did. Yeah. I, well, I didn't decide to do consulting. Uh, consulting decided to do me in um, in some ways. So, you know, in, in the heyday uh, of television, along came 2000 to 2008 and 2009, otherwise known as the Great Recession. And the way television makes money is through advertising. When nobody's making any money and the economy fails, advertising dries up. And so, I sadly had to lay off my entire team and then I walked myself up to the HR office and, and accepted my pink slip as well. And then I was out in the wild um, with many, many others, many other very highly qualified underemployed people um, looking for work. And um, I had an opportunity to go to, to, to go to the competition. Luckily I had a pretty good reputation. So I was, I, I was invited by, um, ABC the next day to consider maybe going over there, but I, uh, I I took the opportunity to think about whether it was time for a change. And luckily, um, you know, I took the opportunity to kind of think about maybe I should do things a little bit differently, and and uh, have not looked back since. It was scary, terrifying, and hard. But, you know, persistence wins, and, and uh, I luckily was able to, to kind of do some good things with it. What were the early consulting days like? Like, what kind of clients did you go after? What did, what did you do? Did you do the yeah, same so, thing you were doing as an employee? No. So anyone who has done, I believe that anyone who has gone into consulting from a corporate job that wasn't consulting, right? It's different if you worked for a Deloitte or a McKinsey or something like that, you're a professional consultant. But if you had a corporate job and you're suddenly out in the wild trying to get consulting work, the reality is most of us have no clue what we're doing, no clue how to package up our, our, our advice, um, no clue how to price. Um, it, it was honestly the hardest and most humbling thing I ever went through when you go from having a business card that has a peacock on it and the words vice president to basically begging people to to let you give them your advice for almost any amount of, of dollars. Um, it's a little bit of a gut check, but uh, so so it was really hard. And, and as I say, at the time, there were many of us out there trying to do this. You rely on on um on your, your closest friends and colleagues from the beginning, but this was at a time where almost nobody had a budget to, to speak of. So it was very lean. 
you know, and, um, you know, you just have to plug away Th those first, those first years for anyone. And, e and even now I know we're in the middle of the great resignation, right? Yeah. I love that term so much. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> a lot of people are trying to say, you know what, I'm just going to make a go for myself. And, and, and what happens is it's a little bit easier right now, because right now we're, we're actually in a time where, where there's sort of workforce scarcity. So there's a lot of people trying to hire. It was the opposite when I went into it, but even what I would caution folks or just have folks consider now that are kind of in those in, in that resignation period is, you know, the, the first six months to a year are gonna be in some ways easier because you've got people really kind of demanding your time. Um, then you actually have to learn how to be a consultant if that's what you're going to do. You know, learn what your business model is, learn where the business is going to continue to come from, um, learn what what your way of delivering your work product is. Um, those are things I had to I had to figure out when it when it wasn't so easy. So you know, I I was a uh, I I was schooled by the the school of hard knocks and and and, and learning that stuff. You know, after I had come down from my ivory tower, um, but it was, you know, as most things that are hard, um, if you take the lesson, you know, they, 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 they bear dividends down the way. So, so it, it was a good, tough experience for me, but I won't pretend it wasn't tough. And you went for corporate clients. I mean, you went for the same kind of people that you had been working for. I did. Well, I did what every new consultant does, which I, I, I went for anyone who had a dollar in their wallet. <laughs> it did start out mostly with entertainment oriented clients. Um, one of my first gigs was actually a, a business that I hadn't been um, in, but I, but I, I had a network there. So I, I did a multicultural project for Coca-Cola, helping them understand the Asian American audience. I was lucky in that I had a lot of experience in multicultural when I was at NBC um, and they still own it. You know, we purchased Telemundo. I, I was, I was, simultaneous VP of, of, of advertising and promotion for, for both. Oh, wow. Um, so, I, so I had a little, I had a little something. So, so your Spanish is fluent. Uh, my Spanish is not actually perfect or fluent. Really? I understand. I, I grew up, you know, my, my, my grandparents are Mexican. I grew up with, with Spanish in my ear. I understand about 95% of what I hear. Okay. My, my, my spoken Spanish is más o menos. <laughs> um, but I can get by. Got it. So that's interesting that you were VP of Telemundo then. So Spanish station, right? Yeah. Yeah. Also. Mm -hmm. I, th I think it's the largest Spanish. one in America, isn't it? Pardon me? I think it's the largest. It's definitely the most well-known. There's Telemundo and Univision. Univision and Telemundo are the yeah. two. They, they battle it out. Um, definitely. At the time, Telemundo was, was number two. I don't know where they are right now. I think it's a lot closer. Uh, it used to be that, that Univision was the 800-pound gorilla in, in, in the fight that those, and you know, we were making right. against them. Very cool. And then now you focus on story. I do. I what I what I really focus on. I I tend to work with companies who are having a hard time expressing their unique and defensible difference. You know, we, we live in a sea of sameness right now. Um, best practices ha has, has become completely tilted and turned into copycat marketing and, and, and positioning. 
And so, you know, what we tend to do is work with companies that are saying, you know, I need to distance myself from, from, from our competitors. We need to build a moat around the position that we own in the market. And we need a way of communicating that, you know, to our clients or to our customers in a way that is uniquely us, right? And the way that you do that is through story. People have a story to go with everything, you know? Um, so is it, is it the, so one of the things that I teach, I call the Genesis story, right? It's the where you came from story. How did this come about where you came from? Because the unique combination of your background, your drives, your passion, your experience is your, is the way I do it is your Genesis unique story. Is that a piece of it or is that not even? It's a piece of it. It tends not to be the most important piece, honestly, um, or I shouldn't say that it tends not to be the first piece when you're trying to attract a client base or an audience. When, when you're trying to attract a client base or an audience, if you think about what makes every story interesting, what makes every story interesting is that there is a, a, a problem, a quest, there is something to be overcome. And so rather than starting with the Genesis story, you know, what, what we tend to focus on is, you know, what's the problem? What, what's the problem story? You know, because that's what's going to get your attention from a consumer first. If I say we work with companies struggling to answer the question, why us? You know, instantly, like you either relate to that, like I have that problem, you know, how do I differentiate myself from my competitors? Like when people ask me, what makes you different? I don't know what to say. I'm doing all the same things. So how, how am I different? And so by starting with the problem, then you can invite people in and then you circle back to that Genesis story, Esty. But you first have to relate to their problem because you know what? Everybody, you know what everybody cares about? Themselves. Only, only and ever. So, Interesting. Yeah, so we're now. talking about kind of the messaging. This is, I would categorize it. What I found, so part of what I do is I'm a generalist, which is actually fairly different in the marketplace. Um, my struggle is that what I do is so very different than what most people do, but it sounds, this, the language that describes it is the same. So the language that other people use is the same language that I might use to describe the problem I solve but I do it really different. And so that's, you know, in our work, um, like in the work with, internally with my team and with my, my advisors and colleagues, I'm always trying to find a way because yeah, I also get you more clients. I also teach like, but the, it's foundationally different. <laughs> What's foundationally different about it? that I'm a generalist, that most people are either industry experts where they know one specific industry and they take you on one path down that industry and they don't know right, left or anywhere else off of that path. And if you don't fit on it, you fall off the edge and you're done. Or they're what I call genius tacticians. They know one specific thing. So you're what I call a genius tactician. Brand story, right? That's the category I put you under. This is brand story, branding, uniqueness, positioning, messaging. It's all in that bubble. But if I were to try to take you, you know, and, and get your advice on sales path and online information product marketing, you'd be like, uh, I mean, maybe you'd say, oh yeah, sure. No problem. But maybe you'd say, no, it's not what I do. Um, I would say this is my specialty, right? You know, so, right. so, exactly. so, so they're specialists. So yeah. my, my uniqueness is as a generalist, I've worked with pretty much every industry in the last decade plus. I work with micro business owners, service-based businesses, people who have a talent, ability, dream, skill, former employment profession that they want to turn into their own thing. And 
and we do A to Z. All right. I've from the beginning, one of my clients called me consulting firm in one person. So my so what I did was I built a full service consulting firm. I was like, okay, that's that's what I'm gonna do. And the beginning was me. <laughs> and then it was an entire team um uh, across the world, right? Spanning I think we were on six continents, seven time zones every day. Um, at, since then, we've hit like 10, 12 times. Like we go all the way across from LA to Hong Kong. Um, haven't haven't done anything. Like right in between Hong Kong and LA, there's like a little pocket that I haven't, I haven't worked with yet. But other than that, we go straight across. And uh, and now we're, I've I've basically said goodbye to the consultancy and we're re, relaunching um, with essentially an educational certification and vetting enterprise because the consultancy wasn't going to scale the way I wanted to solve the problem that I see that I can solve, which is giving people that entire big picture. So a few people. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what I'm, what I'm seeing is you're a generalist to a very specific category of people, right? You know, because if, if you go, listen, if, if you go to fortune 500 companies, they don't want a generalist. They want a specialist because Correct. they're working. And they don't need staff. a generalist. They they don't, they've exactly. got enough people inside to put and the picture together. The problem exactly for micro right. businesses that I came to solve from day one. They need a lot. They need a lot in one person with, right. these, with these micro businesses. So, so if I were talking about your story, uh, you yeah. know what's interesting is sometimes what I, what I always even try to get my clients to do is tell somebody what they do and then have that, then have someone stranger, whoever tell them back what they do, because it's, you got to see how it lands is I actually think that you are a specialist. You're a specialist with a, with a particular type of company, you're solving a problem. So if I go back to my, like, you know, let's start with the, with the problem solving story is like, Mm -hmm. you know, the problem that you have is micro businesses have to do all the jobs as efficiently as possible. And who can they lean on to guide them through that story, you know, and guide them through that journey. You know, what you do is you work with comp with micro businesses to give them a lot of value across a lot of disciplines. You're a full stack marketer, you know, or whatever that happens to be for, for, for a very specific customer. And that way, those, those people that need you most, right? They're like, that's what I've been looking for because I don't, I can't hire five, 10 different people, right? I don't have that capacity. I don't even have the capacity to talk to that many people because they're doing so many jobs at the same time. And so, and so it's sort of like, how do you, you've deeply understood the problem of a very specific segment and kind of, you know, started, started uh, to position yourself to them. So that worked better when I was running the consultancy. Mm-hmm. Now that we're switching it to be more education and, and certification based, right? So to service the micro business owners and the marketers who serve them and teach them full business and marketing strategy. Cause like you said, when you came out, you know, of your corporate job and you're like, you didn't know how to position or how to price or how to brand or how to anything. What I teach is all of that, right? Give me a couple of days to a month. And I give you the entire picture, all of the time and the tears and the wasted money gone, mm-hmm. but I can't do it anymore one-on-one. So the new program is self-service, right? There'll be monthly, you know, community calls, but these are for grownups, right? Everyone's got to put on their big girl panties and learn it and internalize it. And then it will work, but I'm not here. I'm not going to feed it to you. 
and then chew it and swallow it for you anymore. <laughs> That's not happening. Um, and then through that, begin to certify. I've already certified a number of strategists, but to start to certify and master that you don't get these marketers out there who don't even know what they don't know, right? Someone like you who's been in the world, like, you know, there's stuff you know, and there's stuff you don't know. And you never tell someone, well, this is the only thing you need and nothing else matters because you're aware that there's a bigger picture. But so many marketers out there come out, they take a, a little training course in Google Maps marketing. And they're like, well, this is all you need. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. What? So, so that big picture and that, that's harder, right? It is. It's really hard. I mean, we're, we're in a learning economy right now and, and, yeah, and we there's really are. a lot of folks, you know, um, there's a lot of folks hungry to learn a lot of things and there's a lot of places where they can learn those things. And there's a lot of people saying they teach the same stuff and solve the same problem. You need more yeah. clients. Just take my course. Why is SD's course different or SD's, cause it's not even a course. It's, it's really, it's an incubator. It's, it's a it's, it's an entire education, right? Like yeah. most of these courses are like, this is not a course. This is a degree. <laughs> yeah, no, they that's great. They don't want a degree, but they need it. <laughs> like I just want someone to do it for me. All right. I'll see you in a year. Have fun. <laughs> the mm -hmm. blinds will lead you as you are blind. Both of you will walk into a bunch of walls. And when you're bruised up enough, you'll come back. I'll okay. help you. Uh, yeah. Cause that's what happens. I've seen them over the year. I'm doing this for so long. I'm doing information products for over three years. And they come and they're like, no, I think I just want someone to do it for me. And I'm like, all right, see you in a year. They come back a year later. You were right, but we had to try it first. That's great. That's great. Okay. <laughs> Have it your way. Uh, but yeah, we're in this learning economy. And then everyone, and this, again, not just to speak to my own problem, although I'm loving the, the free advice, um, but I think so many people have a similar issue where it's like, I help people get more clients. That's essentially the problem I solve. Yeah, I help them get more clients reliably, consistently. I solve it differently, though. I solve it in a way that doesn't have to be solved again. Right? Most people, they'll, they'll do a program and they learn relationship marketing or they learn Facebook ads or they learn this, and now they've got more clients until that thing either doesn't work for them or never did or, or they're missing too many other side pieces to make it work. But we say we solve the same problem. And so for anyone in an industry where someone says they solve the same problem and, and you know you solve it differently, then what? Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to part one of this episode. Stay tuned for part two going live Thursday. And of course, subscribe. You do not want to miss this. You've been listening to the Business Breakthrough Podcast with SD Rand. If you're looking for a breakthrough in your business, reach out at sdrand.com slash breakthrough to be a guest on the show. Everyone's got a business struggle. What's yours?